Please be seated. Well, if I have not yet had an opportunity to say thank you to you, thank you. Thank you from Amy and Hannah and Luke and James and Daniel, our two new identical baby boys, and from myself, from our whole family, for all of the love that we've experienced from you in the form of cards and phone calls and texts and meals and childcare over these last seven weeks as we have begin or begun to figure out what it looks like to be a family of six. Still sounds weird to say that. <laughs> Merchant party of six. <laughs> Thank you. And Happy New Year. Thank you. Yeah, the beginning of a new year brings with it a certain palpable energy that it's one of those seasons in life that has inherent in it the opportunity for change. There is this momentum that's so helpful in, in making a shift. It's, it's already present in this season. What are you doing with it? Do you have goals for the new year? Health goals or, or financial goals? spiritual goals or relationship goals. I was talking with a married couple just this past week and, and they're feeling called to, to add to their family, to, to grow, to have children. And so they're exploring what, what would that mean and, and what would a change like that require? And I wonder, where, where do these feelings come from? This sense that we are not yet who we could be this sense that there is something drawing us forward. You know, I think that some of us are, are better at acting upon this sense than others, but I believe that all of us have a sense that we are not yet who God has created us to be. And so I ask you this morning, do you believe that God is, is drawing you forward into something And is there something holding you back? I believe that our scripture this morning has something to say to us about this. And so I invite you to open up your pew Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew or those Bibles that you've brought with you from home. Alternatively, you can turn there on your mobile device through the church app. But please open with me to Matthew chapter 3. And I'll begin reading at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. So right here in Matthew's Gospel, we find Jesus being baptized by John in the River Jordan. And as we unpack this text this morning, I'd I'd like us to do so by asking three questions. First, why was John baptizing people to begin with? They, They certainly weren't Christians yet. And then, why was Jesus baptized? Notice that that even John is uncomfortable with this. And given all of that, what does our baptism mean now? So what's happening here in Matthew chapter 3? What is happening here that, that Jews are coming to John to be baptized? Well, it's not exactly clear, to be honest. There, there is no clear textual evidence for baptism in the Jewish faith prior to John's ministry. However, it is a widely held belief among many biblical scholars that, that John was not the first to begin baptizing in the Jewish faith. There's, there's evidence in the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the first collection written down of the Jewish oral traditions, and, and it, it, it dates back, or the tradition of baptism in there dates back to at least the destruction of the Second Temple, which would have been about 70 AD, or a, a few decades after the events in Matthew's uh, gospel today. But the presence of uh, the presence of this tradition, of this, this written tradition, um, communicates to us that there must have been some tradition going back. You see, what we read in the mission is that there was actually controversy around who should be baptized. And in other words, it had been going on long enough for people to have their own opinions about it. But in the Mishnah, we read that one school of thought was that baptism should be required for Gentiles, that is, non-Jews, in order to join the Jewish faith. It, it served as part of their, their ritual purification, their cleansing, and as a sign of their willingness to follow the law of Moses. It marked the entry of a person into the life of the covenant people. It was an outward sign that these people were becoming part of the community. But that still doesn't answer the question as to what was happening here in Matthew because these are not Gentiles that are coming to be baptized. These are Jews coming to be baptized. In fact, we read later that even Jewish leaders were coming to be baptized. It's, it's as if John is saying that, that all of us are in need of conversion because God is preparing to do something new right here at the Jordan River. Now, I think it's significant for us to recognize this is the place, the Jordan River, this is the place where roughly 1,400 years earlier, where the people of Israel had crossed over into the Promised Land after their escape from Egypt. This was the place that had marked the moment when the nation of Israel began their new lives as a people rooted in a place, the place where they, in many respects, finally became a nation and where the promises of God were fulfilled. And so here they are again, the people of Israel entering into the Jordan River as God 
unfolds a new thing as God continues to fulfill promises. And so Jesus comes down to the River Jordan to be baptized. Now John, John is immediately uncomfortable with this. Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel is the only Gospel where we read of this interaction between the two, but let me read this for you again. It says that Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him, but John would have prevented him saying, I I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. It, It seems to me as though John here needed needed some reframing. This didn't seem right to him, and in some ways I don't, I don't think it seemed fair that, that he be the one doing the baptizing. Mike Baer is an associate professor in the School of Business at Arizona State University. And he studies how we as humans process this concept of unfairness, circumstances that we consider unfair. And in a recent interview on the podcast Hidden Brain, he shared this story. He said, in my first job out of high school, I was working construction. I was framing houses, and it was a hard job. I didn't know what I was doing. I was lifting wood all day. It was 100 plus degrees, and and the work didn't slow down so that I could be taught the skills that I needed. And the first week on the job, I shot myself in the thumb with a nail gun. Well, my boss came over and and he looked at it and, and he handed me a roll of duct tape and told me to tape it up. We got back to work. Well, about a week after this, I I thought, man, I can't do this. The, the, The boss doesn't care. The boss is being unfair. The the boss isn't looking at what I need and and so I called my dad and I started complaining and, and, and he listened to me fairly silently for about five minutes and then he stopped me and he said, well, are you going to quit? I said, no, I need this job and, and I want to be a construction manager and, and I also need the money. And my dad said, then stop complaining and figure it out. And, and I learned two important lessons that day. One, was don't go to my dad for emotional support. (laughs) And two, that if the situation was going to get better, it, it was up to me. Here I was complaining about this boss being unfair, and instead of looking at it from the boss's perspective, my dad gave me a a reframing response. You see, this this boss had deadlines and this was my job. This is what I was getting paid for. And when my dad helped me see that, my whole mentality flipped, and I stopped seeing the experience as unfair. I stopped seeing the boss as unfair, and I saw it as an opportunity. It completely changed my mentality as I went to work, and it changed how I reacted with that supervisor. And and that supervisor ended up being one of my 
best friends. We actually became business partners and went off and started our own construction company together. I can look back and point to the day, to that phone call, as to when the relationship improved. And it was because my dad gave me a reframing response. I think sometimes we need a little reframing to get out of our own way, to, to jar us out of our own egocentric view of the world. And Jesus here gives John a reframing response. Jesus responds to John and says, in this way, we fulfill all righteousness. Well, how does that serve as a reframing response? Let's, let's dig into that just a little bit. Well, what does this word righteousness mean? I, I think we tend to think of it as perfection, as a, as a way of conducting ourselves, as living, as righteous. But the Hebrew word for righteousness, tzedakah, is, is not so much about perfection or, or even about a right way of living. In fact, throughout Scripture, it seems to refer more to God's saving activity. It's actually translated as salvation in a number of places in the Old Testament. And so perhaps Jesus says to John, I need you to baptize me along with everybody else because I'm taking my place with the people. I'm identifying with the people, with the sinners. And it's in this way that we will fulfill God's saving activity. Jesus reminds John, look, it's, it's not really about your baptizing. It's about what God is doing through you. And I'm going to stand with these people because that's what I've come to do. Because God is doing this new thing. And so like us, John needed some reframing. And so Jesus takes his place alongside the people, alongside us, to be baptized. Not because Jesus needed to be baptized, but as a part of God's saving activity in the world. Let me ask you this. Are you being called to do new things in 2023? Are you being called to do hard things in the new year? Are you resistant, questioning? Do you need some reframing? What Jesus reminds John and what Jesus reminds us is that it's, it's not really about what we are doing. It's about what God is doing through us. We then go on to read that, that in Jesus' baptism, he is identified as, as the Son of God for the very first time in, in Matthew's Gospel and the, the heavens open and a dove descends hovering above him. What, what Matthew wants to remind us of here is that the very first chapter of Genesis, some of the very first verses where we read that the Spirit of God hovers over the watery chaos like a dove. 
And now the Spirit of God hovers over his Son as, as God begins this new creation, this new thing in the world. So what does baptism mean for us now? What does your baptism mean? What does my baptism mean? Well, we believe that baptism is communal and an act of community. It's a covenant that we enter into together and we believe that in it we are incorporated into the family of God, the people of God, into what God is doing. This morning at the 9.30 service, three-year-old Lila Lane Winchester was baptized. And we agreed as a church community that we'd come along Side her and we'd come alongside her parents, Nikki and Scott, and her older sister, London. We agreed that we would walk with them, that we would teach her the scriptures, that we would help pick her up when she falls down, that we would do life with her. We also believe, as the Jewish people did, that, that in baptism we are cleansed, that we are purified, and that we are given new life. And we believe that the Holy Spirit descends upon us, hovers over us, watches over us, enters into us to live through us, drawing us forward into new life. So what holds us back? What prevents us from embracing new life, from allowing the Spirit to be at work in our lives. What is stopping you from following that sense that God wants to do something more with you and through you? Dan Barber is a New York chef and and co-owner of Blue Hill Restaurant in Manhattan and and also uh, Blue Hill at Stone Barn in Pocatico Hills in New York. He's an innovative leader in the farm-to-table movement and author of the book, The Third Plate. And in his book, he tells this story of visiting the restaurant of Angel Leon in southwestern Spain, not far from the Strait of Gibraltar. And Barber sat with Leon, enjoying a meal made at Leon's restaurant. And he tells this story. The second course came out. It was horse mackerel that had been deboned and pressed into a medallion shape and served with wasabi seeds and lemon caviar and finally rolled in nori like maki sushi. And if all that was meaningless to you, that's fine. Because here's the interesting part. The chef tells Barber that the mackerel, the fish that was used in this dish, that had been sold to him that morning, that was fresh off the boat, had also been very badly bruised. Barbara was surprised to hear that a chef so renowned for great seafood would purchase and serve damaged goods, and and so he asked him about it. And Leon replied, well, of course I bought it. Why not? Fish are bruised all the time, just like us, but they're no worse off. Barbara writes that by pressing the mackerel together and preparing it like a sushi roll, Leon hoped to create something exalted out of what might have been thrown away. 
Are you bruised? Have you been bruised? Are you allowing the sense that you ought to be discarded to prevent yourself from allowing God to make something exalted out of you? Because here's the thing, God won't force it. Like baptism, we must come to it willingly. But if you will allow it, if you will allow it, God has a promise for you. And it's not a promise that there won't be bruises. It's a promise that God can take those bruises and do something exalted. God wants to wash us clean. God wants to purify us because Jesus stands with us and the Spirit of God hovers over us and wants to do something new with you and with me right now right here, in this new year, if we will allow it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.